Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, I know it's been a while. I'm not going to apologize. Should I apologize? Uh, thank you for being here. I'm going to, I'll thank you for being here. I'm not going to apologize for not posting because I'm a busy guy. But uh, this is an interview that I uh, I did back all the way back in September with Jim Nova. Uh, if you don't know who Jim Nova is, then get with the program. What are you doing? Uh, Jim is a trombonist in the Pittsburgh Symphony, uh, and he also does all of these incredible multi-track trombone things, much like I do. Um, but his are like mostly film music, a lot, mostly John Williams, really, uh, really, really, really great stuff. And he has an album called A Fall From Light to Dark, which is uh, a whole album of, uh, Star Wars music, all trombone Star Wars music. Really cool. And, um, when we filmed this interview, uh, that album had just come out. So, uh, we talk a lot about that, a lot about John Williams, um, and how he got started with the whole thing. So, super cool interview. Really glad I got a chance to do it. Um, thank you to Jim for for doing it and letting me stay at his house for uh, the time that I was out there in Pittsburgh. So, yeah, really awesome. Uh, I first met Jim at the American Trombone Workshop. It's possible it was still called the Eastern Trombone Workshop in D.C. at Fort Myer. Um, if you don't know about that, really awesome trombone festival every year. Free uh, right in D.C., put on by the u.s army bands but um yeah i met him there and and we had kind of seen each other's stuff before but didn't know and then we ended up having lunch together because it was kind of like we're doing exactly the same thing just in a, a very different sphere so um yeah really cool if, if you want to check out his stuff after this um Go to jimnova.com and uh, his SoundCloud. He has all this stuff posted on his SoundCloud. Really awesome. So uh, I know you're going to enjoy it. And uh, yeah, here we go. Oh, I should note, um, if you want to watch it, if you're just sitting here listening to it, uh, you can go over to the International Trombone Festival's YouTube channel. And I filmed the whole thing. So you could watch You could watch it if you're just sitting here. If you're in your car, you want to listen to it. You're not going to miss out on much um if you're just listening i took out anything that was super visual like there's a gear overview that's on my youtube channel now that uh uh he's basically saying you know here's this trombone and here's this trombone and it's really fun to watch but not super great to listen to so uh i don't think there's any of that but i do have some like pictures and videos that that show up when he talks about certain people or certain uh performances and stuff and so you'll still hear hear the audio obviously but uh, if you're just sitting there, you might as well watch it. And if not, uh, I think it should be a really fine podcast. So uh, here we go. This is uh, the two of us sitting down back in September. Hi, I'm here with Jim Nova of the Pittsburgh Symphony. Uh, and he will be one of the guests at the International Trombone Festival 2019 uh, in Muncie, Indiana. That's July 10th through the 13th. Uh, so make sure to come out for that. Uh, welcome, Jim, to your own home. <laughs> so, before we get into it, uh, what will you be doing in Muncie at ITF this year? Well, uh, a couple years ago I played with uh, Chris Van Hoff at his previous school, um, and we did my whole trombone at the movies concert, and that went really well. And so now that he's in, in Muncie and he's running the ITF conference next summer, uh, he asked if we could do... Uh, the full concert version of my album. So about six years ago, um, I was looking for kind of a fun way 
to get into shape for the, the symphony season. And I, uh, I've been doing all these trombone, you know, much like you've been doing arrangements for a trombone choir basically since I was in school. And mm -hmm. uh, um, so I took one of my arrangements, this uh, Superman arrangement, and I started trying to just record all the parts myself. And I thought that would be a really fun way to get in shape for the season. So started putting those out on SoundCloud, and um, I didn't. I figured a few people might listen to them. But I think probably by the time this video airs, uh, my SoundCloud page will pass 700,000 listens, which, yeah. you know, it's pretty insane. Um, but uh, then uh, after those kind of became popular, the overdubs, um, people started asking me to like come and do concert versions of these arrangements. So mm -hmm. I started doing that. And then... Um, I went back uh, a few years ago and decided to start actually making commercial grade recordings of especially the Star Wars charts. So I put together this whole album of um, basically it's like a musical journey of how Anakin Skywalker becomes Darth Vader. And, cool. You know what what more sinister, colorful instrument than the trombone, right? you know, to do that. So, yeah, it's really grown into this thing. And, uh, you know, I mean, when I first started doing that, I didn't have nearly this many horns. <laughs> um, but it's been a really fun journey and really rewarding. So, cool. Yeah. So you'll be performing the entire album at ITF. Yeah, it'll be, uh, yeah, concert version. So it won't be, uh, there'll probably be some, some cuts in places and shorter versions of some of the tunes and sort of more performable versions sure. of uh, them. Uh, understand that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it'll be, and it'll be a smaller group. I'm, I'm shooting for like a, a 10 piece group with percussion. Cool. And uh, Chris has already asked me to try and put together like a, uh, an insane group for that. So, <laughs> ben Hoff, right? Yeah. 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 So, cool. I'm, so I'm working on doing that and seeing which, which, Buddies of mine who've played in the past, and yeah. uh, you know, well, that'll be awesome. Yeah, there'll be some familiar faces for sure. And uh, you're no stranger to the International Trombone Festival. So, what no. were you doing last year there? Uh, last year, I came in uh, on the first day. I was only I could only be there for the first day for a very good reason. Actually, okay, and I'll tell you that in a sec. Um, but I I came in on the first day and I did um, my overdub class where I kind of explained how I do how I do mine and uh, um, how it's beneficial for your playing and you know I did did that did a master class um, and then I also played in the um, the Southeast Trombone Symposium Professors Choir concert that night and we played a couple of my arrangements at the end of the night um, and uh, so that was I was just there for the one day and I actually drove I left after the concert that night and drove back to Pittsburgh to make it back in time for the orchestra playing Star Wars with the score. <laughs> like we played the the full score with the movie. Oh, you know? cool! And I was like, "There's not many things I would drive through the night to get to." You're not missing that one. But I wasn't gonna miss that. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't gonna miss that. So yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot of fun. So now let's rewind. Uh, where'd you grow up? Um, I grew up in uh, a little town outside of Hartford, Connecticut, South Windsor, Connecticut. Oh, okay. That's so, not yeah. far from where I went to school. Um, yeah. And what was the music scene like there? A lot of trombones, a lot of competition, or not so much? 
Well, I, um, yeah, the, the, I was very lucky. Um, my, my family moved to South Windsor when I was in middle school and the band director of the middle school was this really excellent trumpet player named Jim Turek. And, um, he played, I believe he played in one of the military bands before he started, uh, um, teaching full time. And so he was kind of like my first teacher in mm -hmm. that setting. And, but he had really good connections in the music scene in Connecticut. And then when I went on to high school, um, my band director in high school was, uh, the second bassoon player in the Hartford Symphony. Oh, okay. So when my dad contacted him about getting me lessons, private lessons, um, when I was... <laughs> Hi, Max. Um, when, uh, so my band director, my dad talked to my band director about getting private lessons. He, he said, oh, well, you know, you should take lessons with my good friend, George Sanders, who's the, who still is the, the second trombone player in the Hartford Symphony. Okay. So he was my, my first, I started taking lessons with him when I was um, 15. Um, and actually, it was on this. Oh, you have your first trombone there? This is my first trombone, <laughs> my Yamaha student model instrument. Yeah, so I still have it. So I was taking lessons and my teacher was, you know, George was like, uh, look, he said to my parents, look, he's totally outgrown this horn. He's got to get a real, real horn. Mm -hmm. So he said that, you know, back then it was like, you either played a Bach 42 or a Con 88H. Mm -hmm. There was not, there was not all these uh, choices like there are now. And um, so my parents, you know, got me my, my first, this horn right here, <laughs> Bach 42. So they got that horn for me in April of my freshman year of high school. And um, the following summer, uh, my mom actually passed away. And uh, she was the one who basically got me that horn. Mm -hmm. And um, she used to come to every concert I would play. It didn't matter if I was playing at a school assembly or something. She would, she would come and, and, um, and watch it and hear, hear me play. It was just a real supporter. So after that, that's when um, music stopped, stopped being something I do mm -hmm. and it became something I am. Okay. You know, I really started to connect with playing and realize, you know, um, that it's what I want to do with, with my life. As a matter of fact, I remember mm -hmm. my dad took, uh, used, used to take me to go to see Harvard Symphony concerts, you know, and, uh, <laughs> come on, be in the interview if you're going to, you good? Okay. <laughs> um, so uh, my dad, my mom and dad had a subscription to the Hartford Symphony. They would go, they would go see concerts. And after she passed away, he started taking me. Okay. So I remember going to see um, the orchestra do do Mahler's uh, do Mahler's Fifth Symphony, and um, just being so overwhelmed and blown away by the by the music that uh, I just stood there and I pointed after the concert was over and my dad was like, what are you? I was like, that's, I want to do that. That was the that's, first time you, yeah. you Mahler's fifth was, that was the one for you? Yeah, that put me over. Just, I think it was such a connection for me because it's such a dark beginning and funeral march and then, you know, incredibly exuberant ending. And mm -hmm. I just, it was, it was something I really connected with. And uh, I was like, that's, you know, trombone was always something I was, it came naturally to me, but like I didn't, make the real you know connection to wanting to do it for a living you mm -hmm. know, wanting to like this is what i want to dedicate my life to so um 
That was your but, sophomore year. Yeah. Of high school. Yeah. So I was uh, I was 15 and uh, you know closing in on 16, and that's what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And I just uh, you know put put my life towards that. And then you know going forward from there, uh, I got my senior year. I got into Curtis, um, and I went and studied with Glenn Dodson mm -hmm. and um, the previous former principal trombone in the Philadelphia Orchestra. And he would have these, I had never even thought about arranging for trombone or anything. I just never even crossed my mind. You so, never did any arranging before? Not in high school. Okay. When I got to Curtis, uh, my freshman year, you know, Glenn Dodson would have these, he used to call them bone bashes <laughs> at his house. And he would have the, the Curtis studio uh, come to his house and the Philadelphia Orchestra section come uh -huh. to his house. And we would play these arrangements that many of them had either bought, bought or did themselves, and and there was a there was a rule that like you had to bring something. Okay. It didn't have to be something you arranged, but it would be preferable. Mm -hmm. So that's when I did my very very first uh, arrangement. I arranged the uh, the second movement of Beethoven's Seventh Symphony, which doesn't have any trombone, so uh -huh. it was kind of funny to. So it was a total yeah, transcription. Yeah, it was complete transcription, and. Um, and it's not bad, you know. Yeah. I mean, for a first effort, and uh -huh. uh, but but hearing that quality of group uh, absolutely planted the seed that grew into what is my album. Mm -hmm. You know, that just the idea that things can sound great on trombones and and uh, you know, Dodson would, would always be we'd play like the Barbara Adagio or something like that, and he'd be like, everything sounds better on trombone. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so yeah. that, it was very infectious. Uh -huh. you know? And I think it's also uh, one of the most powerful like ensembles, and I think that's part of what makes it so fun to arrange for it and to record. Mm -hmm. You know, because then you know you get to really explore this broad range of color and, and, and timbre and style. And plus, we're so maligned as trombone players of like you know people don't realize what kind of technique we actually have. Yeah, and, and, you know and, when a trombone player arranges something. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So after that, um, you know, I went to. Um, after Curtis, I went to New England Conservatory. I studied with uh, who, a man who many consider the Yoda of the trombone, and that's uh, Norman Bolter, mm -hmm. um, who's an incredible composer uh, in his own right, and, and writes wonderful music for trombone choir and many set many groups, you know, orchestra and, and chamber music and such. And he was really an incredible influence on me. I went through a pretty rough patch. I was just in a bad place, and he kind of steered me away from the cliff, mm -hmm. you know, because I was almost, I almost stopped playing. Yeah, you know, I have a similar story myself, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. you get burnt yeah. out. Yeah. yeah, well, especially when you're, it's such a high pressure business and such a competitive business mm -hmm. that, you know, you, you can get in your own head so, so well, you know, in these, in these situations. So I... Norman really steered me back and um the perfect person to do that as well <laughs> exactly exactly I mean yeah. he's so he's still a real good uh, close friend and you know he's the first phone call I have whenever I either have some playing thing I can't figure out or if I have a student you know mm -hmm. and uh you know but yeah his students uh, often refer to him as the Yoda of the trombone it, it makes a lot of sense yeah yeah I could see that so he's he's wonderful and and um very he was very encouraging of the continuing to do arrangements and stuff mm -hmm. sure and so uh and then I freelanced in Boston for a few years um after I graduated play and where were we in, in the progression <laughs> so well at that time I I didn't have the I didn't have a base I I had 
you know, I had an alto trombone um, from my time at Curtis. Okay. And I had uh, a small tenor actually right behind you. That that horn I got um, because uh, when I was I was playing extra in in the Boston Symphony. Um, at the time, it was Ron Barron was playing principal, and whenever he would play alto trombone, if I came in as a sub to play second, um, Doug Yeo was the bass trombonist at the time, and mm -hmm. he, they both were like, you know, it'd be great if you switched to like a little bit smaller t instrument. Mm -hmm. uh, just timbre would be better, and I, I, so that's when I got my first yeah, medium that one? That's It's different now, but it's a it's a medium bore, uh, 525 bore Shires. Okay. Um, but I started on... Um, I borrowed Ron Barron's like Con 8H and just played on that until I got my own. I got a Shires that was uh, a little closer to a Con 8H. Mm -hmm. um, but then... Can you still playing on your Bach 42 for all the other stuff? Uh, I switched to a... I don't have it anymore, but I switched to my first... My first Shires trombone didn't have a serial number. Oh, wow. Because that, that was when he first... That was 1996. Mm -hmm. And I was playing this Bach... And I just wanted a change. I wanted something. And at that point, Shires had just kind of come on the scene officially, I think. I think mm -hmm. he'd been making horns in his garage or something for years. But, um, and so I played Norman Bolter. Norman Bolter's had, Norman Bolter had one. So I played his and I was oh, like, wow. wow, I love this. Can I? Yeah, and I went truly to custom, like, yeah, 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 made for him. So I went to the factory and picked out one. And that's, I've been playing Shires trombone since 1996. So where where were you in '96? That was uh, in Boston. In Boston, that was when I started my master's degree. Okay, at NEC. So after I finished my master's, I freelanced in Boston for uh, a few years, and actually, um, that's when I first started working with John Williams. And, okay. And you know, I'd always loved his music, but getting to work with him in an orchestra yeah. was just a dream. I mean, he is, you know. Um, go back to where that started. When was like your first time hearing John Williams music? Do you oh, remember any of that? Stuff? That's way back. That is yeah, yeah. When I was a kid, uh, long before I played trombone. So this is um, before Mahler. This is before trombone. Before Mahler, this is everything. Yeah, yeah it okay. was when um, when the Empire Strikes Back came out. Um, I was six. Okay. And my brother and my dad and I went to see it, and. I just remember being so completely captivated by the music and uh -huh. just, just being like, what is the, you know, I didn't, you didn't know what a trombone was yet. Not really. Yeah. No. I mean, my dad played classical music in the house, um, uh, growing up. Like when I was a kid, my dad didn't, you know, my family wouldn't like, um, uh, they wouldn't read bedtime stories to me. They would like, my dad would put on a record mm -hmm. and like explain the story of the piece to me. That's and like acted cool. out and stuff, you know, like the Firebird. He would. I remember vividly him like putting that on and saying, you know, this is the part when the Firebird. You know, it's like I have that burned in my memory. And so for me, music was always really visual, mm -hmm. you know, like connected to imagery and scenery and such. So it was natural that movie music would really connect mm -hmm. with me. So anyway, it took me to see Empire Strikes Back, and I remember leaving the theater in tears because I remember saying to my dad and, and my brother, I was like, he can't be his father. <laughs> he can't be. That just can't be. And they were like, yeah, okay, calm down, kid. It's, <laughs> but I just, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd whistle the, you know, sing the, the melodies and stuff, you know, and be, it was so, I was so connected to the sound, you mm -hmm. know. 
Um, and so John Williams was like really burned into my memory. And, you know, uh, I remember going to see E.T. That was like not long after that. And it was like the sure. first time I ever remember crying at a movie, you know, like <laughs> when he leaves. And, you know, it's all the, the music is so powerful and yeah. connected to the to the drama. Yeah, so John Williams was always, I was always a huge fan of his music and then going to Boston and like, I remember the first time playing with him in the yeah. orchestra and, and as a sub and just, he how, was, you know. How did that happen? Somebody subbed out when John Williams was there? Um, well, <laughs> you know, the Boston, you know, it's, it's, it's changed, but you know, there was a time where, I mean, when I was there, um, the Boston Symphony and the Boston Pops, uh, they were basically the same orchestra, mm -hmm. but many of the principal players in the Boston Symphony wouldn't play the Boston Pops. Okay. So that would create, because the, the and it's actually, it still is this way, the Boston Symphony trombone section's only got three trombones. So mm -hmm. that means if Ron Barron wasn't playing, that means they always needed to hire an extra. Right. And then... Would they just kind of move up and then... Yeah, Norman yeah. would play first and... and um, and I would come in and play second. Uh, sometimes I'd play third, like on many of John Williams' stuff is four trombone parts. Mm -hmm. So I'd come in and play extra or, or whatever. And and they also have this other orchestra um, that I played in for a long time called the Boston Pops Esplanade Orchestra. Hmm. That's like a third orchestra because uh, there's just such demand for the for the playing that sure. they created this whole other orchestra that's all freelancers. Mm -hmm. And I played in that orchestra for many years as um, both principal and second. In fact, I kept playing in that orchestra after I moved on to join the Utah Symphony. I still played for many years that uh, doing that. Um, and that's when I get to play with John Williams in the Pops. And uh, and actually, you know, I just, he's, he's every bit as nice as he appears, mm -hmm. if not more so. It's like, you know, he has this way of like, cueing you when you play and it's like your grandfather is is welcoming you in to play and so it's like i've seen him conduct it is like it's amazing yeah you know? very gentle yeah. yeah and and he's he's such a a, a incredible musician and incredible um ear and, and just he's so meticulous but in a very gentle gent gentlemanly way mm -hmm. you know and um so then uh after we you know, after I played with him there, I went on to, to Utah, and actually my my first season in the Utah Symphony um, was the year that the Winter Olympics were in Salt Lake. Okay. And so he wrote a, a, That's right. a piece for the Mormon Tabernacle Choir and the yeah. Utah Symphony to record. And so he saw me there, and he was like, you're here now, you know? <laughs> um, and uh, uh, so we recorded that um, with the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, and it was... It's wonderful to work with him there. Um, and I kept playing on occasion with him in, in various settings. But anyway, uh, after after playing, you know, that was probably where I started to do a lot of my my John Williams trombone choir arrangements. Because I played in this trombone choir in Utah with the, the, the then bass trombone player of the Utah Symphony. He ran a trombone choir in, in Salt Lake. And... Uh, we would play my arrangements, and, and it was just a lot of. We put on these free concerts, and mm. it was uh, it was a lot of fun. He was also the church music director for a church in town, so we had a great yeah, venue, venue to yeah. play. And yeah, and we that was all in Salt Lake City. Yeah, cool. Yeah, uh, Rusty McKinney's his name, mm. and uh, he was the bass trombone player in Utah when I was there. So then, I moved on to to Pittsburgh. Um, How long were you in Salt Lake before you moved? I was there eight seasons. Eight seasons. Eight seasons. Yeah, and. Um, so then I moved 
to Pittsburgh and uh, I think it was like my second year in Pittsburgh, John Williams came to conduct the Pittsburgh Symphony on a concert and I bumped into him backstage and again, he was like, wait a minute, <laughs> so now you're here? Really? Following each and, other around? Yeah, and, yeah. I, and uh, I said, yeah, it was part of the trombone witness protection program. Mm -hmm. They just move us from one orchestra. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And then about, boy, it's five years now. It's been five years since I last played with him. And that was around the time, because I'd started doing the overdub six years ago. So mm -hmm. around five years ago, I saw him backstage and um, we were chatting and I said, you know, I, I wanted to tell you about this, this sort of project that I've been doing with uh, recording, you know, arrangements that I've done for trombone choir of your music, you know, and I record all the parts. And he was like, really, how, uh, uh, he goes, that sounds really interesting. What, how many, um, how many voices are we talking? Mm -hmm. And uh, he says, are we talking like, you know, five, six parts? Mm -hmm. And I was like, actually, uh, some of them are like 15, 16 parts. And he was like, his eyes got really wide. He goes, really? He's like, I would really like to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, oh, great. And I, I said, I'm working on it. It's a slow process. At that point, I had kind of sketched out what would then become the album, mm -hmm. but you know, trying to play full time and yes. symphony and teach at I teach at Duquesne, and now I run the brass department. It's like mm -hmm. trying to find time to record when I don't have to save my chops a little bit for playing mm -hmm. in the symphony. You know, it, was, it just took a while. So um, about three years ago, um, I don't remember who it was who said, it, but they were like, you know, you should just send them something. Mm -hmm. Just send them a short thing. Like it doesn't have to be the finished product. You know. So I, I, um, I have this uh, overdub of, uh, of the, the Planet Krypton fanfare and Superman March, you mm -hmm. know, and uh, so I had done, actually the very first overdub I ever did was Superman, the, the original version I did for it. So then I re-recorded it where I added, you know, um, this guy, the, the, the contrabass trombone. Did you, when you re-recorded it, was it in the back of your mind that I'm going to send this to John Williams? No, actually okay. that one, no. I I, um, I just was like, I was using the soprano trombone and the contrabass. I mean, that one is for 16 parts. I think there's two sopranos, two altos, uh, six tenors, four basses, and two contras or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And my buddy, uh, Ed Steffen, who's, uh, uh, he used to be the timpanist in the Pittsburgh Symphony, now he's in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. He, I don't know how we got on the subject, but he's a great uh, all-around percussionist as well, like not just timpani. So he recorded all the percussion and, and all the percussion parts and the timpani part uh, for that arrangement, and we put it all together. And I thought, this would be the, you know, this is the perfect thing to send in. And you know, I, I wrote a letter and I told him, you know, this is like kind of what I've been up to. And I remember I said, you know, you, you might remember us talking backstage, and I just <laughs> wanted to share this with you. And that was the summer that he was recording the score to The Force Awakens. Mm -hmm. So I knew he was busy, and I completely, I never dreamed that he would. Uh, I actually even wrote in the letter. I was like, I don't, you know, I don't expect you to respond. Uh, sure. you know, I just, I know you're very busy. I just wanted you to have this and, and to hear it if you, if you could. And so two weeks later, I got that letter right here. This is a framed, handwritten letter from John Williams. Uh, he sent two weeks later, like congratulating me on my- Two weeks uh, later? 
I got it two weeks later. <laughs> what? After I after he had gotten like wow. yeah, so three weeks turnaround. Like I yeah. sent it to California. He I mean, got he must it. have just listened to it right away, and then yeah. wrote the letter. Yeah, That's and it was crazy. you know he took the time to handwrite a uh-huh. letter, and he even hand addressed it. Uh. You know, I was sh- I was I remember getting that letter going I. I can die now. Yeah. You know? So, uh, it was such a comp, you know, such a gracious letter. And, and I mean, it was very short, but he was like, you know, I, I can see you've done great work and I congratulate you. And I hope we hope to see you soon. And, you know, so <laughs> it was, it was incredible. And that really actually kind of, you know, shot me in the arm a bit mm-hmm. to, to keep going on this project because the problem with my album was that I had already recorded many of the tracks, but on really previous equipment and not as good gear. And so I knew I was going to have to go back and kind of re-record a lot of things and, and, and redo things. So I, I just knew that was going to be a big job, you yeah. know, and, you know, it's... And not quite as gratifying as when you were doing it the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I did add stuff and mm-hmm. that kind of, you know, and then I trained, changed things around. But I wanted it all to sound you know, have the same microphone, same, mm-hmm. same software and just make sure it was all, it was all matching. Um, and yeah, I mean, that album is almost, is, is just under an hour mm-hmm. and the concert versions will be, will be shorter and, and, you know, less parts because mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a couple of arrangements in there that are 19 parts, <laughs> you know, and, um, have you ever done the math on how long you're playing on the album? Oh, yeah, I haven't done it total, like how many actual tracks I could Like probably, if you add up yeah. all of the, the amount of your playing there is, because I've done that sometimes when I do like an eight-part arrangement that's four minutes, but it's four minutes times all of those parts right, that right. you're actually playing on the right, horn. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, it's... It's, it's not an hour yeah. album that you're playing. I'll no, you it's, it's, it's 19 <laughs> At albums. least. Yeah. yeah, so... If you if you were to take each part, I mean, yeah, it's it's uh, it's incredible yeah. like, how much time it takes. And when I first started doing them, I actually didn't. In some cases, in many cases, I didn't even write out arrangements. Like hmm. I would actually just put the score up okay. and just start recording parts. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just play things until it was, um, you know, until it was uh, until it sounded right. Five years ago was when John Whitaker at uh, University of Alabama contacted me and he said, uh, he said, you know, I'm sitting here with my grad assistant and we're nerding out listening to your overdubs. And he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm smoking, a, smoking a cigar and drinking some scotch and we're listening to your overdubs. And we're trying to figure out a way to get you here because we want to do we want to do a concert of these arrangements. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, the only problem is I haven't written a lot of them out. So right. I had to go back and like extract the arrangement from the recording uh-huh. I had to go and transcribe to yourself yeah 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 and um so he was the first one it's funny you know these these overdubs opened so many doors for me it's like uh, being in the pittsburgh symphony alone is is great and, and you know um, but f- doing this like all, it's just the one-two punch of it really mm-hmm. opened all these doors and now people want me to come and what's really great about about these uh, concerts is like, you know, it challenges them, but through a lens of music that they know and love. You know, because like we're not, you know, uh, I'm, I imagine it's the same for you. It's like we're 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 brought in as educators, right. you know. And I love when the the teachers will say, 
oh man, you know, my students, like I, I couldn't get them to work on multiple tonguing and then I put Imperial March in front yeah. of them and now they won't stop. Or, uh -huh. or I had this one kid who had trouble with his high register and then I put him on one of your arrangements and like, because he loves the music, he like figures out how mm -hmm. to do it. And, and so I think the educational value of this music is so far beyond, I think, what, what the publishers really realize. Absolutely. You know? Well, I mean, on the one hand, this music is not easy. Right, right. <laughs> for for right. us, right. Let alone a student, right. Um, and on the second point, which is the first step of learning music, is being able to hear it in your head before you play it, right. know how it goes, so you can accomplish right. that. If you already pretty much know how it goes, it's a lot easier to right. get to that next yeah. step and try to make music with it. But uh, yeah, and then it's just it's more fun if you're actually accomplishing what it sounds like or what yeah. you want it to sound yeah. like, and so yeah. you practice and just like you said for the students absolutely it's this educational tool but for us you're always setting the bar higher and yeah it, it works at every level i think yeah of, yeah. of student yeah. or professional totally agree and you know i find that um you know it's like i you know i'm a member of a of a major orchestra and we play john williams music all year you know through many different settings concert settings you know whether it be a film concert or a, you know a youth concert or anything like that and um, probably the only orchestras that play his music more than we do is maybe an orchestra like the LA Phil or the Boston Symphony right mm -hmm. and I still can't get enough right you know and I I would love and that's part of why I did these arrangements and love playing them is mm -hmm. like I love playing the trombone parts he wrote but I also like playing the other music that he wrote that I don't get to play yeah. in orchestras, you know, like, yeah. and, you know, like I said, uh, even just for myself, I've, it is safe to say that I've improved my, my abilities on a lot of these auxiliaries as well as my regular tenor, mm -hmm. uh, by playing his music in those settings. So it's like, there's no downside to yeah. it, you know? Um, can you talk a little bit about how you feel about the like uh, serious music debate on this? Because I feel like you have you have a unique perspective being in a major orchestra. You play serious music all the time, right? Right. Right. But you have this connection to commercial music, sure, uh, and specifically a commercial composer who is known to be pretty serious about it. You know, like the music yeah. stands alone, right? But he's writing to a movie. He's writing specifically for what's on screen, and so right. there's a story, right. and that's. Right, you know, controversial right. this day yeah. age. Well, I, you know, I feel sometimes um, frustrated that you know when people talk about John Williams, they'll say, "Oh, he's uh, he's the world's greatest or most famous film composer." And I'm like, I think you should just drop the film, yeah, part and right. just say he's one of the greatest composers mm -hmm. ever because you know he's writing to a medium that. Is popular now and I think you know like if he were alive during um, Wagner or Verdi's time he would have been writing opera mm -hmm. you know and he would have been writing and he's you know he's I've actually had the the, the fortune to play some of his concert works um, when I was in Boston premiering some of his, his like regular symphony pieces you know like concertos and stuff, stuff, stuff you know that kind of thing I think that the the film music especially the way he writes is it's like he's got one foot in the Wagner style and then one foot in the current mm -hmm. style, you know, like he's, he, he, 
um, he would be Wagner uh, mm -hmm. in, in, you know, or he's, the modern, he's the modern day Wagner. If yeah. Verity were alive today, he would be, be ready, ready for, for films. movies. Yeah, movies. yeah exactly. Right. Exactly. I, I totally agree because, you know, you think about it and, you know, it's, it's like when we sometimes we'll go into schools and play for kids and, and with the symphony players and, you know, uh, some of my brass colleagues will go in and play some trios for the kids. And like, if one of us plays the Star Wars melody, like every all the kids start singing along, you know, mm -hmm. like they all know it and they all are familiar with it. And so it's not like they, um, you know, they don't, they all know it and they, they might not know Wagner or Verdi <laughs> or Berlioz or whatever, but he, he has created this incredible gateway to um, orchestra music, you know, an orchestral art form, you know, that many people would never even know. You yeah. Know, they would never hear if they didn't go to movies, mm -hmm. you know. Thank goodness that um, George Lucas, you know, hired him to do the Star Wars film and like yeah. know, fostered in this whole cultural, you know, this whole part of our culture that, you know, many people wouldn't even know what orchestras sound like if it weren't for Star Wars or, mm -hmm. or the film film composing so absolutely See? so i have a question that popped in my head he's known for his certain style of music right i feel like as the resident john williams expert who's transcribed a lot of his music now um is there anything that you can think of where he really kind of pushes it for what we know and love in film music you know really tonal things and in certain modes is there anything where you're like he's kind of doing something that's more contemporary here um yeah, yeah. I think that, um, like this one, another track that I did on my album where it's the one where when his mother dies and it's, it's when he's in the village. Which track is it? Um, it's, uh, it's, um, Shmi's Death okay. is what it's called. Uh, the, the Tuscan camp and Shmi's Death. Mm -hmm. And it starts off very simple and there's a, there's a, there's a, a, a single solo line that and it's kind of him when he's found her and she dies in his arms. And mm. there's this chorale that happens right after it that just sounds like something out of Siegfried or something, mm. you know? Um, and uh, the, um, it just sounds like Wagner, mm -hmm. you know? that is this fast like, figure that I've never heard anything like that bizarre mm -hmm. and but it's like him coming unhinged sure you know and and it fits so perfectly because it's that moment when he like she dies in his arms and then he looks up and it's like you see that mm -hmm. flash of who he's going to become you know mm -hmm. and of course as we are always prone to do after that sort of happens you hear a muted trombone play, <laughs> playing this this long stretched out version of the Imperial March, mm -hmm. but it's like sort of stretched out and it's like you can tell it's the notes, but it's not like a march, it's not real formalized. You yeah. know? 
and he's got all these incredible harmonies going on in there that are just I don't know they're not even really chords they're just like different clusters mm -hmm. and I just don't I don't hear a lot of film composers doing that mm -hmm. you know and I, it feels like he's the he's the one who's really pushed those bounds you know take a score like uh, JFK mm -hmm. you know like uh, I did a I did a, an overdub of um, the Arlington Cemetery scene it's like if you were to drop the needle in the middle of that score you would think you were listening to some Schoenberg or mm -hmm. some Webern or something. You Absolutely, know? I remember that score. That's like, yeah. oh, it's amazing. Yeah. It's so powerful. Textured yeah. all the way through. Yeah. yeah. First one we're gonna do um, your first professional gig you ever had. First professional gig, um, boy, that's. I think I played in like a some small Connecticut like community band or mm -hmm. something like one of those music performance trust fund gigs. Yeah. Uh, when I was like 14. Okay. Yeah. That was like the first time you got paid to play a gig? Yeah, yeah. And I remember, you know, getting, you know, filling out this mile long of paperwork and getting this like, you know, $20 check or something. Uh, you know? uh -huh. <laughs> um, yeah. that made it on the resume though, right? Of course. Okay. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, you have like a worst gig story? Well, it was, I was, I was playing a Boston Pops tour and back then I used to check my instrument. Uh, I have this, I have this flight case, you know, and I was just having so much trouble with getting on planes, mm -hmm. and then I bought this flight case. So um, I flew from Salt Lake City, and the tour was starting near Newburgh, and I flew, you know, I took two plane flights, made it, you know, in order to get there in time, I flew from, you know, through two connections, and then I, I get to Newburgh, no trombone, and uh, and I had stupidly like. Uh, well, actually, I had my mouthpiece, but I had no horn, and like, uh, it's a Sunday, and I call ahead, and I said to the man, personal manager, I was like, I, I'm here, but my horn didn't make it, so they, they like, put the word out in the town, and like, somebody, some old band director, retired band director, brings this old, like, Bach 36, and I don't, my mouthpiece doesn't fit that horn, right. so like, I have a large bartender, and it's, and so I have to play on on his like six and a half AL mouthpiece, which is not what I play on. Oh man! <laughs> and I'm playing this horn, and I literally got it uh, 15 minutes before the concert started. Like that's when he showed up with it, and I had it. So I like basically got it working, and then played this. Con and I had like to play solos and things in this concert, you know. Oh, and uh, and I so that was pretty frightening. Yeah, where and, was that concert? Um, it was near Woodstock. I can't remember the venue. It was some. It's a performing arts center. That's oh, I bet it was Outdoor. SPAC. Yeah, Saratoga Performing Arts. I center. think so. I think yeah. it was somewhere. Out, oh yeah, I think that's where it was. 
But it was like, and so, and then I had big, to, big outdoor thing, right? Yeah, and it's oh like lock arts on a pony. So that was a that was a nightmare. That was a nightmare. Um, yeah. And then they didn't find it. They they couldn't find it for three days. Like it got diverted to other a places. A three day nightmare. Yeah. So then I went to Dylan's, and then they let me borrow a, a horn that was similar to mine that I played for two more concerts. And then I had to go back there and give that back, and mm-hmm. then finally got my horn back. So that was like a nightmare. Yeah, I would say. Best gig, oh, I mean, you know, not to hey, not to ring the bell again, but basically, you know, anytime I play in an orchestra with John Williams on the podium, but you you get you only know, have you have to choose one of them. So which is it? Is it the first one maybe or? Yeah, I'd say that was my uh, you know, the f- the first time I ever played with him. Um, we, you know, we did like uh, some of the heroes, and I was playing extra on that. And we played like William Tell and like mm. some major orchestra pieces too. And I just, I was like a kid in the candy mm-hmm. store, you know. And then um, that, there's a picture there. This is, uh, this this might have been the, the that's me with my uh, goatee and birth control glasses <laughs> on. And uh, <laughs> But this is 1999. Okay. And um, it is uh, the concert premiere of... Uh, music from episode one from Phantom Menace. So it was the concert premiere oh, wow. of that suite. So that was 1999. In Boston. Yeah, yeah, in Boston. And, uh, you know, I remember, you know, I played with him a, a bunch by that point, and I asked if I could take a picture with him, you know, and I walked in and he goes, he, he was like, oh, I'm so happy we can do this. And I was like, I'm the one who's happy, <laughs> you know, like, he was so gracious that he was like, oh, I'm so glad we can do this, you know, I'm so, you sound wonderful, and, you know, he was so, so yeah. friendly, I mean, it's just great, you know, and my story is far from unique, right, you know, mm-hmm. so, that was probably, I'd say my first time playing with him was, just because he was such a boyhood hero, and mm-hmm. still is, you know, <laughs> the record you listen to most. Or did when you were a kid? In my lifetime? Yeah. One of my favorite recordings, um, like hearing the the old Empire Brass when Norman Bolter was in it, mm-hmm. the Russian Brass. Yeah. That is an amazing. I put. I I wore out my record. I had a record <laughs> of it. I wore it out. I couldn't. It didn't. Doesn't work anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I think that that yeah. must be the winner then. Musician who blew your mind and changed everything. Um. Well, when I was when, when I was first starting to really take the instrument seriously, Christian Lindbergh, sure. you know, yeah. hearing those solo recordings of of uh, you know Bluebells of Scotland, uh, Hindemith Sonata, you know that kind of stuff. Um, but then going to Curtis and hearing Glenn Dodson live, I mean, just mm-hmm. you know, he was so inspirational. But in a lot of ways, he probably contributed to why I was so dark on myself as a kid. <laughs> As, as that age, because I was like, man, I'm never going to be like this. I'm never yeah. going to be able to do this kind of stuff. And Norman Bolter, when I first heard him on those Empire Brass mm-hmm. uh, recordings with him, it, I was just, what an incredible sound. And hearing hearing his uh, uh, his Mahler 7 euphonium solo with the Boston Symphony with those Seiji Ozawa. Yeah. I, somebody played that for me when I was a student at Curtis, and I was like, what the hell is that? Like, I couldn't believe how good it was. And yeah. I remember thinking, like, that and then the Empire of Brass and, like, hearing those recordings and hearing some of his Boston pop stuff, I was like, I gotta meet this guy. Yeah. You know? And so, Lindbergh, Alessi, Dodson. Bolter, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that would probably be 
pretty. Yeah, and then, you know, like, he's so modest about it, but, like, you know, I was in, I was a student at Curtis when Nitsan got the job in, in Philly, and mm -hmm. he replaced Dodson. And I heard his first season, I, you know, hearing him play. I mean, he's just such an incredible player and musician, you know, and, and he's so modest. He's just, he would hate that I'm saying that right, right now. Because Nitsan and I are good buddies, and, and, uh, Putting him on that list, he'd be like, come on. He would be like, I don't belong on that list. Take yeah. me off that. But he definitely know? does. Uh, of course yeah. he does. Of course he does. He's yeah. an incredible player. What's a fact about you we don't know? This audience? Uh, any audience. But yeah, if there's something interesting, that's like... Well, I'm a, I'm a car freak and I'm an instructor at the racetrack here. In really? Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's a yeah. good one. Yeah, I'm a big speed freak. And that's all Dodson's fault. So, favorite car? Um, well, I currently drive a, a BMW M4, which I did a European delivery on while on tour with the Pittsburgh Symphony. So I picked it up in Europe and drove it around. Um, and, I mean, that's... I'm really... I'm loving that car. Yeah. It's an amazing machine. Um, but, you know, I I feel like someday... I've got to step my foot into the Porsche world because okay. that's what Glenn Dodson drove. And, okay. and he gave me a ride, you know, um, there was a, there's a fun story where, uh, I was that year, uh, that junior year of high school, I mean, of, of Curtis, my junior year of Curtis, I was having a rough go and I went and I, I, um, damaged my horn. Like I set it down and like the bell, like the, the screw joint came loose and the bell fell onto the slide and dented this horn and dented mm. both slides like I couldn't move it and like I called him and you know I was like of course this would happen you know I called Glenn Dodson and I, and I said you know I damaged my horn I know you and he goes why don't you come over to the house he goes I have a little tool that I can fix it with get it going until you can get it professionally repaired so I I went and I drove over I mean I walked over to his house I didn't have a car in mm -hmm. Philly I walked over to his house he got it going and then we were like, he's like, here, so why don't we like play some duets and stuff? And he, we started playing together. And then he would play me some recordings of when he was in Chicago and like all these old reel-to-reel -reel, like uh, recordings that he had and show me these fun pictures and play some more. And, and then he basically, then he, I didn't realize it until I looked back later, but he was basically trying to calm me down and get me. And then he kind of, and he was like, so what's going on? You, you seem really down these days. And, and I... I, he kind of, he basically turned me around, you know, he kind of, um, uh, got me back on track, you know, cause I thought I was like one of the worst students he's ever had. Mm -hmm. I was like, I gotta be one of the worst students you've ever had. I'm not, I'm not getting better fast enough. And he goes, that is nonsense. You know, you are, you are doing great and I'm really happy with your progress. You're going to be fine. And, you know, he gave me a pep talk basically. And, but then it was like after midnight. So he's like, I can't have you walking home at this hour. So he backed up, he backed his Porsche 914 out of the garage and gave me a ride home in it. And I was like, he was breaking every traffic law between his house and my apartment, just flying. And I remember just this big grin on my face. And I had been, I've always been a car freak as a kid, but I, you know, that imprinted in my memory. Uh -huh. And I remember... Um, him speeding away after he saw, you know, he said, made sure I unlocked my door and he uh -huh. sped away. And I remember look, going, you know, someday I'm going to play in a great orchestra and I'm going to drive a fast car like that. <laughs> I'm going to drive something like that. Or, you know, be, and so here I am and now I play in 
in the PSO and I'm an instructor at the racetrack here and you know yeah, so that's it's it's a lot of fun, yeah. All right, it's, that's kind of an unusual. That is perfect. Yeah, had no idea. Yeah. Okay. Uh, current project you're excited about? Well, I'm sketching out my next overdub album. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've got I've got some things that are already kind of in the can from previous projects that I'm just going to remaster and, mm -hmm. and re-edit, you know, to kind of my current style. Um, but it's going to be sort of a more of a general movie album. It's going to be movie stuff again, but mm -hmm. but not just John Williams. Like I'm cool. gonna I'm gonna do uh, um, I'm gonna do some Danny Elfman stuff. You know, uh, I think that especially now that I have a contrabass trombone, yeah, it's like a, perfect for that. Yeah, um, I'll probably do some some of the. Um, New Giacchino stuff, like some maybe it's from the stuff from Star Trek. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, it's just stuff like that. I'll probably put that Superman arrangement. I'll probably put that on there. My mm -hmm. Green Hornet arrangement, and I'll put that on the album and do something along that line. But that's I'm I'm very excited about that. I do the SoundCloud thing, and um, you know, that's SoundCloud's been very good to me because it's it's been a great way to get get that stuff out there. I mean, I kind of want to get more into the YouTube thing too. I mm -hmm. feel like that's, that's a, a, such a even more powerful avenue and I, I haven't really explored it enough yet. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know? I mean, it's so time consuming. It takes now. twice I mean, as long. <laughs> I mean, you're doing that. Yeah. You're doing that full time and, and, yeah. and, uh, I imagine you have trouble keeping up with your deadlines too. You know? Yeah. So it's... I can only imagine me trying to yeah know. no a uh, full-time job and uh family and youtube that's you're you're counting down something something's got to give there yeah yeah exactly favorite quick warm-up like if you only have a couple minutes before you have like a go-to um well i uh i i have my my daily routine that i do that i've written out um if i take my time that daily routine takes me about a little over an hour, mm -hmm. but I can do it quicker. I can kind of shore it up to about a half hour, maybe 35, 40 minutes. But if I'm, that's different than a warm up. Like if I'm just right. like trying to get warmed up, probably the first page of my routine probably takes about 10 minutes to do that mm -hmm. part. You know, just some easy air attack stuff, lip slur stuff, you know, that, you know. And if people want it, they can, I'm happy to share it with people if they cool. want to reach out to me. So. JimNova.com, so even trombone players can remember that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you have it. A uh, big shout-out to Jim for making this happen again. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, if you want to see the gear overview he did, um, that's over on my YouTube channel, if you haven't seen that yet. Uh, so you could check out all that. He's got a big old contrabass all the way up to a soprano. Uh, kind of interesting gear there, but... Um, yeah. So again, I mean, I keep preaching the, the trombone festival thing, uh, but that's cause we really believe in it this year. It's going to be super fun. And, uh, next year we're going to Japan. And so we're kind of, I mean, at least for me, I'm not going to speak for everybody else, but I'm kind of doing like a big blowout this year, knowing that like not everybody's going to be able to make it next year to Japan. So hopefully we can get as many people there, uh, this year as we can. And have a big old party. But, uh, yeah. So, that's July 10th through the 13th. Uh, it's coming right up, so you're going to not have to hear me talk about it uh, too much in a little bit. I have one more interview uh, from one of the artists from that uh, that I am editing right now uh, with Jürgen von Rien of the Royal Concertgebouw Orchestra. Uh, 
And if that sounded great, uh, my pronunciation, that's because I practiced a lot with him and asked him to teach me many, many times. But uh, that's coming up. I'm editing that, like I said, right now. So hopefully next week or the week after I can post that uh, leading up to the festival, which again starts July 10th. So that's coming right up. Uh, and after that, we can we can breathe a little bit and I won't. I won't be plugging Japan as as much, certainly. So uh, you get at least a year off from me <laughs> screaming about it. But uh, yeah, anyway, thanks for listening, guys. I really appreciate it. And girls. Um, and uh, yeah, I, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you guys in a little bit. Should I play the theme? It's been a while. Here, I'll go over here. Wait, I don't remember it. Do you want to know?